The following program is intended for mature audiences. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. It's Big Boom Radio Friday, people, so it's time once again for the Big Boom Radio podcast, Riffs and Rants, with Johnny Teflon and Michael Sean Lee. Both barrels, both sides, and a lot of good music, too. All I know is this violates every canon of respectable broadcasting. Indeed it does, my friend, indeed it does. And we'll be right back, folks, after the first gem of the day.
human wreckage. There's all different kinds of human wreckage. You know, we like to start the show on an upbeat, folks. We do. <laughs> we do. That was but, kind of uh, a slap in the face. It kind of reaching kinda, back to the nineties. Yeah, you know, kind of back to my wheelhouse, right? Uh, particularly the early nineties. Um, that you know, in case people don't remember, it was from a band called Sponge, mm-hmm. uh, and it was the second signal from the group's debut studio album, Rotting Pinatas, which you know gets my vote for the you know top <laughs> ten album titles. You know that that speaks volumes. But uh, but yeah, as easy as it might be to have not seen Sponge or maybe forgot they existed. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys did nine studio albums and four live albums in their time. No kidding. Yeah. Formed in Detroit back in 1992. Mm-hmm. You know, had the inevitable comparisons to like the MC5 and whatnot. Right, right. Um, yeah, these guys rocked the house in their day. Huh. They did. And, uh, and I think, you know, for our, uh, for our agreed upon opening topic, I think that, yep. that song was most appropriate. Unfortunately, for the line <laughs> in a world of human wreckage. And it's funny, and I'm glad you alluded to it, because we, we listen to a lot of potential gems for this episode, folks. As we always do. And um, as maybe it'll present itself as obvious later, um, a lot of the lyrics were dead on, but the pacing was just not what we like to do. Yeah. So when Michael played this song by Sponge, although it wouldn't have been my first choice, especially amongst the other ones he presented... You know, we like to open things up a little, little fast paced. Yeah, you yeah, got to rock wake up out a little bit, absolutely. Especially for those of you listening on the way to work and whatnot. You know, we don't want to put you to sleep oh. at least until we start talking. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So on that note, <laughs> our uh, main topic this episode um, on the heavy side. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's about homelessness. Yeah, and and the simple fact that homelessness is on the rise in America. You talk about an issue that's pretty much right in your face. Right. And it was something that's, that's kind of fallen by the wayside with everything else that's been going on in the country. Yeah. And um, it came to the forefront of my mind when I saw an article last week um, about Starbucks, the evil empire of coffee, Indeed. Uh, making a, more or less a public statement that they are not there to be the world's restroom. Not anymore. And their normal open door policy, uh, especially in their big metropolitan areas, yeah. is going to be coming to a close because of the amount of homeless folks using their facilities to freshen up and poop and whatnot. Um, and they cited, amongst other things, the safety of their guests and staff. In a very, very uh, unfortunate sign of the times. Yes. That, that has definitely become an issue. And... Yeah, that wasn't some kind of corporate bullshit thing coming down. That mm-hmm. that was real. Right. And then, you know, linear thinker that I am, <laughs> I, I put it back in myself, and it dawned on me in a lightning flash that even I, you know, one half of me being, you know, Joe Q public in the streets, and the other half myself being a business owner, I realized that I, too, see two polar opposite images when discussing the issue of homelessness. On one side, my, my heart goes out to anybody that's in that situation. Of course. Regardless of, of the reason, before you even get into that, yeah. just the fact that you don't have a roof over your head or the security of a door that will lock and protect you from the outside world, I think it's absolutely terrible. The business owner in me immediately switches gears and says, well, this is a bad optic and we don't want these people around our business yeah. because it's depressing and you don't want to see your customers looking at that when they've got the other hand on their wallets. Yep. And all of a sudden, it just kind of spurred this thing. I'm like, you know what? We need to talk about this because I'm sure I'm not the only one. No, not at all. And then you and I said, okay, let's 
dive a little deeper. Yeah. Well, it's funny. It seems like it's the kind of problem that ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I moved out to L.A. way back in 1985, and I remember, you know, coming from, you know, the safe suburbs of Boston, seeing this for the first time and, and being kind of taken aback by it. Like, mm-hmm. this is a real thing. This right. isn't, you know, you see, you know, they talk about it in the news media, and it's one of those topics that, you know, gets traction in politics quite mm-hmm. frequently. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, when you come face-to-face, with it, it it it'll make you right. pause. Make and you stop we, we grew up as part of a generation that would see the homeless as drunk old men lying in their own pee on a box, winos, bums, park yeah. benches. Yep. The same way that it's like only sailors used to get tattoos. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are in 2022, and the homelessness epidemic has reached suburbia and middle America. Oh yeah, the situation has evolved, and you know, like you made a point of saying. Uh, when we were talking about this in pre-show, is the richest nation in the world mm-hmm. by far? How could how could we be subject to this particular problem? Right. How does this happen? Right. And uh, you know, it's 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 an easy question to answer, but it's not an easy problem to solve. No, not at all. Um, you know, just in doing research, uh, top causes of homelessness. Um, number one, by far, the most uh, obvious and blatant cause of homelessness is the lack of affordable housing, mm-hmm. i.e. a problem that a rich nation might have. Uh, number two is unemployment. Number three, poverty. Number four, low wages. Mm-hmm. You know, those are all the things that have contributed and created this situation. Uh, and it, it's very, very hard statistically to nail this down because of the nature of the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like we can say, okay, everybody here who's homeless, raise your hand so we can count you. Right. Um, but estimates, as far as the number of homeless people in the United States, run from 550 to 580,000. Right. Uh, and just to qualify it, uh, that's down from the Great Recession numbers, which actually hit 1.6 million. Mm-hmm. Kind of frightening. Uh, and in the Great Depression of the 1930s, it was 2 million, though you pointed out very astutely there were considerably fewer Americans back then. Yeah. Yeah. So that was probably a much greater percentage mm-hmm. uh, than it is now. But you know, breakdown on that, approximately 400,000, if not more, are individuals. Right. Uh, 150,000 are families, which is heartbreaking. Uh, and throw this on the heartbreaking pile, 37,000 are veterans. Mm-hmm. And another 340,000 are unaccompanied use. Right. You know, and, that'll, and again, that'll sober your ass up real quick. And, and these, these segments, again, have always been there. But I would almost guarantee you that nobody would think in a million years that the percentage of homeless families is nearly as high as it is. Yeah. Because, again, a lot of times when you, when you broach this subject, people will, will gloss over it with facts and figures and, and impressions that they've either gathered over the years or they heard some pundits say. And, again, just to touch back on, on you know, your figures from the Great Depression, you know, don't forget, we were also at the time, a country that everything revolved around the major cities. Yep. And that's where you would see the bulk of this homelessness. The concentration, sure. And granted, people were moving around in the Midwest because of the Dust Bowl and whatnot. But yeah, the soup lines, the bread lines, the famous photographs, all that's from New York, Chicago, L.A., St. Louis. Yeah. The big cities at the time. Yeah, not but a shock. It's, 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 it's made its way to suburban yes, neighborhoods near you, know, you and I. Yeah, not a shock, but L.A. and New York just sheer numbers wise have mm-hmm. the have the highest number of homeless people and uh, and again you know this is a same uh, topic rather you see on the news frequently you hear people talking about it but 
I don't know how it is for anybody else, but when I first dove into it and started like researching it and whatnot, there were a lot of things that I didn't realize that were kind of like, oh, really? You know, mm -hmm. a good example. Apparently, they are three different types of homeless people. They break them down into categories. Uh, they are chronic homeless. They are transitional homeless. And then there are episodic homeless. Mm -hmm. uh, chronic homeless people are people that just are homeless, period, end of story. That right. is their life. Then you have transitional people that have a string of bad luck. Mm -hmm. You know, they lose one place where they were living before they'd be able to line up another one. Uh, and then there are episodic. These are people who, you know, for a variety of different reasons that include mental health issues, substance abuse issues, mm -hmm. are homeless, then they're not, then right. there's a relapse, and they are again. You know, back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. You know, which for, you know, a family or, you know, loved ones, it's probably the most frustrating. Right. You know, is, oh, you know, Bob's back out on the street again. Right. You know? And here's the thing. I mean, I, I can turn back into my regular self for a moment and say, yes, there, there's always going to be a segment. And I want to stress that I believe that this is a small segment yeah. of people that they want to live on the streets. There For whatever is that reason, percentage. whether there they're is. they're fighting their own personal demons, they don't want to deal with the family and the repercussions, or get treatment, or they've just got mental issues, or whatever. There's a small segment there that you're not going to help. We get yeah. it. We're not trying to change the universe. Yeah, and they don't want your help. Right. Yeah. However, in the in the case of families, and I'm talking families where one or two of the parents are working full time and they can't afford a place to live. Yeah, because they. Right, because yeah. they can't check off this box or that box on the application. Yeah. That's bullshit. Well, how do you wrap your brain around that? I mean, working right. full-time and being homeless? Like I said, the stereotypes that you and I grew up with, that mm -hmm. these are people who are bums, they're drunks, right. blah, blah, blah. That doesn't fit into that, mm -hmm. that really easy, you know, to understand box. Right. And, and in a society that loves to throw money at issues, yeah. I mean, if look, you give me the money... And we'll start building not just affordable housing, but everything that comes with it. You need affordable housing that people want to live in, number yeah, one. Number one. That's safe, that's near schools and hospitals and all those other different facets of a community that keep it together. Yeah. And not just sticking them like in, in a glorified shoebox somewhere so they don't have to look at them on the street. Yeah. I think for too long, especially in the cities, their goal is to get them off the street. Get them out of view. Right, and that's great in the winter so they don't you know, freeze to death or, yeah. in, or in August so they don't drop dead from the heat. Yeah. But how about not just giving them, and I'm not talking about luxury, but a, a level of comfort that provides people with the necessary dignity to dig themselves out of whatever hole that they're in. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, not to get all biblical on you, but you got to teach them how to fish. Yeah, exactly. You know? Look at you getting biblical. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but it works. Out of the blue on that Holy one, Holy shit. Yes. The world is still full of mystery. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and, and, you know, touching on something that you just brought up, um, and again, this is one of the stats that I'm highly suspicious of, but according to uh, figures, 20 to 25% of these people are suffering from mental illness. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think it's a hell of a lot higher than that. Very well could be, especially I mean, in today's society. Yeah, I mean, just being homeless will give you a condition of or some degree of mental illness. Of course. You Wondering know, where you're going to lay your head every night Yeah, no and, not, and not get mugged and yeah. you know, lit on fire. Or no whatever. safety, no security. How are you supposed to get a decent night's sleep right. under those circumstances? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and, and like you were saying, it, it you know creates a situation where you're chronically tired, you're chronically burned out, you're chronically worked and that just makes it that much harder to dig yourself right. out of the hole and here's the thing none of this shit 
needs a think tank, okay? Right. You don't need a, a, a board of, of physicians and psychologists and, and college professors to sort this shit out. Any decent city planner worth their weight and shit, okay, should be able to approach the powers that be and says, look, I need this much money, this is what we're going to spend it on, this is what it's going to resolve. Yes, and not only that, this is a multifaceted problem. Right. You know, Americans love black and white scenarios and, you know, one problem, one solution. And this is complicated. It's not that easy. You've got to hit it on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. Again, in particular, the mental health aspect of it. Yep. You know, I mean, you, you, you know, you can't just pluck somebody off the street, stick them in a, you know, in a, in an apartment and expect, hey, they'll be fine now. We're off. You know, there, there were issues here, right. you know, that, that resulted in their homelessness to begin with mm -hmm. that you have to address. And we're not, we're not looking to release anybody from, like, conceivable liability. Yeah. So if... Um, you know, Joe and Jane and their two kids get, quote-unquote, affordable or free housing now from the state. Part of that is Joe or Jane, you know, one of the two has to be working. Well, the state should offer them that job then, yeah. okay? And, or, if they want access to training to learn new skills and whatnot, then say, all right, well, your room and board is contingent on you attending your classes mm -hmm. and getting a passing grade and getting a certification and whatever. There's easy, like, common-sense ways to manage the risk-reward that comes with investing in people, which is the, the riskiest investment in the universe. I yeah. get it, is investing in people, especially when they've got a possible myriad of issues. Mm -hmm. But again, doing something is better than doing nothing. Oh, yeah. And look, the last time they tried to do something, in, in my estimation, that really kind of maybe moved the needle on homelessness was those comic relief uh, concerts they did on HBO <laughs> with all yes. the comedians. Also, the last time Whoopi Goldberg was relevant. Yeah. But <laughs> at least they did something. They brought attention to it. They painted the full picture of the different circumstances yep. and, and what you know happens to people and how this stuff not only happens, but then sometimes perpetuates itself. Absolutely. Generationally. Oh, yeah. And something that, that my side, you know, the left, mm -hmm. is painfully, painfully uh, short on is the follow-through. Right. You know, you can't just, like I said, you can't just throw money at the problem, yep. you know, create the scenario where, plop, we put them in a house, they're good, right. you know, under the There has to thing. be a scoreboard, and yeah. there has to be measurable results. Yeah. You got to work with these people. It's not, you know, and you're going to have constant uh, fallbacks. You're going to have mm -hmm. constant, you know, up so-and-so, quote-unquote, relapsed, or, right. Right. you know, took a misstep or whatnot, you know. Again, you're, you're talking about people that aren't well. Mm -hmm. You know, live, not having some of these things that, you know, maybe we take for granted, like a safe right. place to sleep at night, mm -hmm. you know, take their toll on people mentally. Sure. You know, and it's not like you're going to fix this problem or you're going to fix this person overnight. Yep. You've got to stay with it. Because if you look around this country right now, there's a whole lot of little Hoovervilles popping yeah. up. And a lot of the big box stores, like the Home Depots and then the Walmarts, they, they allow it to happen, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, look, I, I maybe people are better there than other places, but there's also a lot of, you know, tent camp towns and shanty towns popping up in cities around the country. Yeah. Um, as a friend of mine just told me, she was recently in Washington, D.C., and they're in front of a lot of the monuments, these little tent villages, yeah. okay? Oh, yeah. And again, to harken back to the business aspect of it, you know... You, you, you can't, look, this isn't Nazi Germany. You can't erase people. Yeah. And you can't erase a segment of, of society. Mm -hmm. 
so by that token, if you see that this is an issue and it's only getting worse, you need to hurry up and come up with a solution, yep. okay? Yep. And look, if you're not going to do it because it's the good Christian thing to do, I know that's probably narrow-minded to all my Muslim friends, <laughs> but if you're not going to do the Christian thing, do the American thing. Do we have a Muslim segment of the audience? Do we? we must. Do we? We must. Interesting. Yeah, we're big in like Michigan and Wisconsin. I like so. to think so. Yeah. I know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, these are things you gotta you got to follow through on. You know, and, and like the old saying goes, if your ass is on fire, do something. Do something. You know, there's some trial and error involved in here. What worked for this scenario might not necessarily yeah. work for this other scenario. And how about, talk about a pipe dream, maybe now we could hear from some of these entertainers, okay, who mm. as they were struggling artists, many of which, like Jim Carrey comes to mind, yeah. spent a lot of his teen years living in a car with his family, yep. okay? Yep. Instead of railing against Trump, you know, and stuff like that, why don't these people talk in front of Congress and talk about their struggles and put an, a, another face on it yeah. of what they went through and how they got out of it or the damage that was done because they couldn't get out of it. Yeah. And there, there's so many different ways to approach the problem and fix it. I just want somebody to do something oh, yeah. rather than just make it one of those things that we occasionally talk about around Thanksgiving yeah. or in the Northeast when the freeze warnings kick in yeah. and all of a sudden in the news they're like, oh, we're really worried about homeless people and here's where the shelters are. Yeah. Now, you, you got to do better than that. Well, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mountain to climb, quite frankly. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but when I first got out of college, I was pretty much homeless for about 18 months. Now, I'm not equating my situation with those of the mentally sure, ill. Sure, because you were more like a barfly slash vagabond. Like, yeah, kind of, sort of. Yeah, you know? <laughs> kind of that post-college thing. I was, you know, sleeping on a lot of couches, occasionally mm -hmm. slept in my car. Um, I came out of college in the 1990s into a recession. I had a theater degree, not exactly practical. <laughs> um, but one of the things I used to do when I had some money um, was I would, uh, I would grab, a, grab a room for a week at this flop house on a street, I think it was Wilcox between Sunset and Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And because they didn't have any money and, you know, place didn't have cable, uh, what I did for entertainment at the end of the night, once I was done, you know, trying to hustle for a gig or whatnot, is I would go and I would walk up Sunset and I would walk up Hollywood, you know, anywhere from midnight to like 4 or 5 a.m. And back then, there were a lot of homeless kids mm -hmm. on Hollywood and Sunset. And... Don't kid yourself. These kids were predators. All oh, right? yeah. They were dangerous. But I, like, I mastered the art of becoming invisible mm -hmm. and blending into the surroundings, and that gave me the opportunity to observe these kids. And there was a lot of them at the time. And I used to always wonder where did these kids go? Because if you walked around at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. right after the sun came up, the streets would be abandoned. Yeah. And what I noticed, which was extremely interesting as I was walking around, is as the sun started to come up, these kids would just blend into the background and disappear. Mm -hmm. And what they were doing is they were squatting at a lot right. of the, the, the vacant buildings that were on Sunset in Hollywood back then. And it was amazing. It was like they would just, poof, disappear. Mm -hmm. They would take a step back into the shadows. Suddenly they were gone. And my point is you're dealing quite frequently with some people that are locked into this mindset, mm -hmm. locked into survival mode. Right. And it's going to take a lot more than a free hamburger mm -hmm. to break them out of this. Unless you know? their name is Wimpy. Yeah. You know, this is, you know, again, it's a complicated problem. It's not something that's, you know, boom, boom, solved, done, and we're moving on now. You know, this is going to take some effort. And we frequently have a problem with dealing with problems that take an effort to solve, that take... Right. You know, that follow-up and that second and third follow-up. 
and then you know when this person breaks your heart and falls back down, that you don't give up on them. You pick mm-hmm. them back up again, and you give it another go. You know, it, it's it's very difficult. But again, we're the richest na- nation on earth. If we can't solve this with all the means that are at our disposal, you know, with the medical community, with wealth, with housing, with whatnot, mm-hmm. you know, what does that say about us? Right. Exactly. So think about that, America. We're done lecturing. <laughs> but it's time for the middle gem, and we have something that's a, of a little bit of relevance there. I one of my this. Um, this was an inspiring call, John. Well, it's one of my favorite B-sides from uh, my long-lost late 80s. Ah, nice. what a heyday of music. Nice. This little ditty is from uh, rock band Living Color, and the name of the song is Open Letter to a Landlord. And we're going to play that for you right now, folks, and we'll be back with part two after some more things and stuff. Look 
That song always did. A little tasty, I gotta say, a little tasty. And now, as as luck would have it, I'm really still and always have been over their song "Cult of Personality." Yeah, it's you just, know, they, there's so much more to "Living Color" than that song. Yeah, yeah, but it just dominated everything. Yeah, and, and this song, of course, was um, "Open Letter to a Landlord," yeah. also off of their um, their first album from 1988, uh, "Vivid." Great example of the fact that Corey Glover had pipes. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, he and they really were a could. rock band with soul. That's, yeah. I don't think that was their tagline, but maybe it should have been. Mm. And hey, that I, song, they kind of address, you know, even early on, before it went mainstream, yeah. the uh, the gentrification of Brooklyn, the Bronx, parts yep. of Queens, yep. people getting forced out so they could put up, you know, the Gap stores and stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, my favorite line in, in there is that, you know, these buildings have a value that you can't see. Sure. And that's why I thought of it today, because, you know, where you live is where you live, and where you grew up is where you grew up. Oh, the whole concept of neighborhood. Yeah. You know? And, and one of the main reasons of homelessness is, is those that have been displaced. Yeah. Because lack, of this, that, Lack of affordable housing is the number one cause of, of homelessness. Yep. So, there you go. So, there's that. Tasty. So now we go into our, our <laughs> beloved subtopic, uh, yes. a big changing of the gears. Indeed. Which is normally how it should go, yep. right? Yep. Especially when we're doing something as responsible as our well, first this segment. This guy's kind of in a class by himself, i got to say. Yes, he is. And folks, we're going to be talking uh, in the second segment about Vincent K. McMahon. Yes, that Vince McMahon, who is, uh, for so many years owned the World Wrestling Federation, then World Wrestling Entertainment, Titan Sports, you name it. The whole shebang. It's not an understatement to say that this guy had an impact on popular culture that, quite honestly, I would put right up there with uh, Hugh Hefner, for yeah. example. Yeah. You know? And in the line of promoters, he's right up there with P.T. Barnum. He actually, like, even outshines Don King, you yeah. know, because when we were kids, Don King was the most outlandish promoter out there. Yep. He can't hold Vince McMahon's jock. Well, you look <laughs> at, yeah, you look at the bottom line on 
Vince McMahon, which, you know, when you brought up, you wanted to talk about the situation, given that he was, you know, now taking a step back mm -hmm. for controversial reasons, which so frequently seems to be yeah. how these guys end. But, you know, this guy, when he stepped back, had an estimated worth of anywhere from 2.3 to 2.4 billion dollars. This is a man that started, uh, I don't want to say poor, not necessarily poor, but from a broken home, mm -hmm. you know, very, very, you know, middle class, perhaps even lower middle class. And the organization that was his, that he was the chairman and CEO of from, what, 82 to 2022, I believe, yep. was worth anywhere from 4.9 billion to 5.7 billion. Right. And I, yes, folks, I did say billion. Mm -hmm. I mean, an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And I mean, it's not that it's just a purely capital thing, but what those numbers represent. Mm. You know, and, and it what is he an took it from it too, you know? It, yeah, it's an entertainment empire. And without going into the, into the rich history of it, you know, he, he didn't meet his actual father, who was the original owner of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation. Yeah. Uh, until he was 12 years old. Yeah. He took an interest in the business. You know, he went, he graduated college, he got a degree in business, and he came back and he wanted to work. So his dad gave him this little promotion up in Maine. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, back then, it was still made up of territories. None of these wrestling companies was national. And by hook or by crook and some really ingenious ideas along the way, he, he built his standing until finally in 1982, he bought the company outright from his father, who then... Yeah! Died shortly thereafter, yep. and immediately went national and ruffled a lot of feathers and put a lot of promoters who are generally not the most upstanding citizens <laughs> in the world, yep. especially from the South, put them out of business. Um, and that in and of itself was an achievement. Yeah. But then coming up with this idea of WrestleMania, yeah, which was one just glorified wrestling card mm -hmm. with the, the added bonus of superb marketing and media hype, which they had never even thought of before. Yeah. You know? Well, jumping ahead to from that point to, I think it was 1997, uh, Pontiac in Michigan, mm -hmm. he drew, what was it, 91,000 people to a wrestling event? At the it was actually there? in the 100,000. Was it really? Yes, and had set a mark which stood for a very long time. That's astounding. Yeah, just to see Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. Yeah. You know? And being able to tap into that, you know, in one sense, like a classic fight promoter, mm -hmm. they know the names and what the draw is going to be. Yeah. Okay? And even though wrestling is scripted, and in most cases, boxing isn't, they're the same principles at work. Right. Okay? No matter how good somebody is, if they're boring, nobody wants to come watch a fight. Sure. So they got to add their hype in here and there. So he would come up with not just the characters, okay, yeah, but different types of mat uh, matches that had never been heard of before, just to kind of always keep things <laughs> oh, interesting. I wish I could have a list of some of these these special oh, yeah. matches that they, I mean, just just crazy, crazy off the wall shit yep. that was like purely, purely creative in a you know big show concept, right, right, you know? and then making use of cable television, yeah. Um, because, you know, when we were kids, you would watch the wrestling matches like Saturday morning on whatever, like, the sub-channel oh, yeah. of your market was, Bruno right? Martino and, yeah. you know, those guys. And they were taped and edited and, and all yeah, this. Yeah. He started, um, I don't even know what, yeah, I know it was in the 90s, when he started Monday Night Raw on the USA Network, yeah. which is a subsidiary of NBC. Yeah. Still has a fantastic working relationship with NBC Universal, oh, yeah. as well as Fox now. Yeah. And there's even an award... 
on the ESPYs, okay, which is an ABC-owned subsidiary for yeah. ESPN, yeah. where they get the the uh, the moment of the year, the WWE moment of the year. Right. No other wrestling promotion gets that. No yeah. other MMA faction gets. But this is how big and mainstream this has become. Oh yeah. Well, back back then, you know, the USA Network and Fox were fringe uh, yes, networks. Yes. They were fledgling, if you will, networks yep. that were trying to find footing. And just looking for something that would launch mm-hmm. them like professional wrestling. Right. And, and yeah, to see the progression, I remember, you know, when I started watching professional wrestling as a kid in the 1970s, it was completely localized. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was like Bruno San Martino. And right, it was Chief, always the same guys. Yeah, Chief <laughs> J. Strongbow. <laughs> yes. you know. Who was also Italian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, funny. Yeah. And Vince McMahon was the guy in the yellow jacket who was just the commentator. Mm-hmm. He was just, you know, the guy that was calling it. It yep. didn't seem like a significant figure in any way, shape, or form. You know, who knew, you know, his connections and who he really was. Yep. And to have seen them go from that yep. to what they are today is just astounding. And people even forget that during the uh, the steroid trials of the 90s, it was Vince McMahon who was the first one to come out and say wrestling was fake. Yeah. And say it was scripted. And, and made no difference whatsoever. None. If anything, it made it even more popular. Yeah. Because now, like, the average Joe and Jane sitting on a couch like, look at this ridiculous shit. Oh, it's you fake. Know. It's fake. Right. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, well, they're saying it's fake. Now we can just watch it as entertainment. Yeah, exactly. You know, like I, I said to you in, in multiple discussions we've had, I've come to view wrestling as street theater. Yeah. You know, some people like to go and, you know, see a you know, Shakespeare or whatnot. And mm-hmm. there are some folks where just Shakespeare doesn't work for them. Yeah. You know, but you put it on this level. Yep. You know, and it's still... There's always a good guy and it's always a I bad guy. I was going to say, it still inevitably comes down to a battle against good versus evil. Yep. You know, which is the, the, the most basic, basic concept mm-hmm. in, you know, the, the concept of theatricality. Right. And that's what these guys uh, really represent. And, you know, the multiple storylines, the good versus evil, the... The love and hate mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, loyalty yeah. versus disloyalty. It's all that stuff, you know, all wrapped into one. And in retrospect, I mean, he's retiring now at 77, <laughs> mostly due to uh, some infidelities from years ago. A little scandal. Hush little payments that were paid. Yeah. And what's worse is that the WWE is a publicly traded company. Right. So now the SEC is looking into a lot of these payments oh, that really? weren't reported yet. Really? So it's really, it's oh, gone to the next level. Yeah. So he had to get out of Dodge, so to speak. As in the unfortunate inevitability of a lot of people in his mm-hmm. position. The man had big appetites, yeah. you know? Yeah. But just from a business standpoint, I'm, I'm celebrating that because the guy had a never quit attitude. And right. if something didn't work the first time, he would retool it, come back, try it again. Right. And... You know, it's like Wayne Gretzky say, you, you miss 99% or 100% of the shots you don't take. You don't take, exactly. And McMahon always tried everything. I mean, over the years, the litany of characters that have been created, some that have worked, some that you never thought in a million years would work, a la a big guy <laughs> who was a mortician, right. okay, yep. and would come to the ring with an urn <laughs> and was supposedly dead. Okay, of course, talking about the Undertaker, Undertaker yes. who yes. everybody knows who that character is. Oh, you know, man. seriously, they forget Hulk Hogan was around for quite a few years before WrestleMania. Man, we could burn out like another 
hour just listing off the characters exactly. that they've come up with over the years from, like I said, Haystacks, Calhoun, yep. to the Chief J. Strongbows, mm. to the, you know, Jimmy Snookers and the Hulk Hogan's, yep. to, I don't know, what Triple H is the mm. thing these days or whatever. Yep. I mean, just characters. And McMahon had characters. his hands and every single one of those characters yep. Yep. would sit there and sketch out what the look was going to be. And it's like, perhaps, like amongst rec- wrestling fans, you could say perhaps the business has started to pass him by because there's yeah. a lot of fledgling leagues out there. It's an unfortunate inevitability. Which, really yeah, is. which, look, it happens to football coaches and baseball managers, too. So yep. it's it's universal. But his impact and, and not only what he created, but the way he changed the landscape of things, yeah. as well as, it has to be mentioned, the metric shit ton of good works um, that the WWE yeah. has done over the years for either the Make-A-Wish Foundation yeah. Girls and Boys Clubs, I think, yes, are big yes. on their list. Yeah. USO. Um, the Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club. The Susan J. Komen Foundation, no. fighting breast cancer. Organizations they do, um, you know, for, for little kids with cancer. and the, it, it just like goes on and on and on. Yeah. And I say it, it's more than is expected and or necessary just from a PR oh, point sure. of view. Absolutely. You know, it's a company and it's somebody heading the company that is very aware of their very humble upbringings yeah. and, you know, what a struggle it is to, to get ahead. And you got to give back. And it it breeds loyalty in their customers or their fans, however you want to term it, yeah. that will arguably never go away. Here yeah. I am at 52 years old. I've been watching wrestling since I was like <laughs> 10. And as ridiculous as it's getting, I always have time if it's on to tune in and see what's going on. Yeah. And yeah. now, you know, this show being a sponsor of Blitzkrieg Pro Wrestling stems from that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And here we got these young guys or, or guys in the twilight of their career on the indie circuit. Um, again, one thing just leads to another and the, the domino pile of life. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for my experiences and, and Vince's antics all these years, I wouldn't be donating towards this other you know, company who mirrors it in the same way. They're sure. they're socially conscious. Yeah, these people out there busting their ass to entertain. Yeah, and it's just uh, it's just a nice thing. So I, I wish Vince all the best uh, yeah. and the family as well because it's it's it, look it's a trying time. Oh yeah, I'm sure his wife Linda McMahon, a very sharp cookie in her own right, yeah, is making his life a justifiable living <laughs> hell right now. <laughs> The man's accomplishments pretty much speak for themselves. Yeah. I mean, anybody that's looking for people in his position who are, you know, ethically pure. Yeah, keep looking. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) You know, I mean, just proves he's a human being just like the rest of us. Right. Um, But again, like you said, you know, his accomplishments pretty much stand alone, speak for themselves. Yeah, and in my estimation, they far outweigh the the dalliances of, you know, of men with, like I said, big appetites. Yeah. Simple as that. Yeah, I wish the guy well. Um, And yeah, it's it's few and far between that people like him come along. It it really is good, bad, or indifferent. You got to just kind of look at what he's accomplished in a remarkable context. Sure. It's like, wow, you know, that's, that was something else. That was a life lived. And I tell you what, before we jump out of this, I do need to tell our audience that I thought it only natural to play the Vince McMahon song that was on <laughs> the, uh, the well, the, the seminal album Pile Driver oh that goodness. the WWF put out in the eighties. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just it's just way too painful. And then of all people, Michael Sean Lee flexed. <laughs> I mean, flexed his classic rock knowledge and came up with 
a, a, a perfect song you know, for this occasion. It, it, just, it just seems so appropriate. You it's know, just it, when you think you know somebody and start to write them off. Yeah. You came up with an inspired <laughs> move like that. So why don't you tell the good folks what they're about to hear now? I just yeah, it 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 fit it just fits so well. Um and again, you know, Bon Voyage and Best Wishes Vince McMahon, you know, they don't come along like you ever, you know. So good luck to you and this one's for you, my friend. What are you gonna play for the good folks? I think we're gonna spin a little Emerson Lake and Palmer song called yes. Welcome Back, My Friends. Yes, indeed. And not to mention the fact that I even had the title of this song wrong. <laughs> I need to go stand in the corner and face the wall. But you folks enjoy this and we'll be back with some more stuff and a wrap up right after this. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass stands a real blade of grass. Be careful as you pass. Move along, move along. Come inside, the show's about to start.
And there you have it, folks. An outsized, over-the-top song. Yeah. Completely outsized, over-the-top <laughs> personality like Vince McMahon. Great tune. You know, they, they, they go together well. Uh, that was Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, of course, doing Welcome Back, My Friends, from sometime in the early 1970s. Yeah. It's hard to get a little from tidbits an album on that one. the same name. Yeah, yep. it was very frustrating. But, again, you know, a song that fits the personality. Sure of the man it was dedicated yep. to. So. And I always thought the name of that song was See the Show, and I've yeah. even got it labeled in my music collection as See the Show. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm so sure it's like light has dawned on Marble Head. Yeah, have, have, <laughs> have made that assumption, made that mistake. And, you know, again, it's Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. It was one of those outsized, absolutely epic songs that yep. they were known for back in the day. It's prog rock. It's not for everybody. Right. But if you're going to do a song for a personality... Like Vince McMahon, it's yep. all, it's got to be over the top. It's got to be eccentric, you know, egomaniacal and crazy, <laughs> just like the man himself, Vince McMahon. Thirty seconds longer, that would have been a jam band. Ah, piece. no doubt, no doubt. But so, nonetheless, inspired choice. Thank well you, done. Sir. All right. Well, moving right along. Moving right along. What's uh, what's going on? Uh, in the I world. In, in the world today. Not well, just in Big Boom Radio, folks, but <laughs> right. what is going on in the world We're today? We're going to look beyond our door today. Uh, the same old shit's going on here. Follow-up? Yeah. We don't usually well, do that. Is that... Well, it's a bit of a do no more... With, yes, follow-ups, just okay. to give everybody uh, you know, state of the nation, sure. if you no, will. No, we should probably do this more often with a lot yeah. of things we talk about. <laughs> you know? Callbacks to previous episodes. Indeed. Ms. Brittany Griner is still in jail. Trash. Uh, that's the rumor. I believe they're swapping her for Satan. That's a <laughs> proposal that... Well, that's what Fox told me, so I'm going to believe it. the Russians have right. pretty much ignored. <laughs> and this gentleman, I believe, uh, had killed Santa at one point. I believe so. But we're going to swap I've, him I've, out for I've heard for that Brittany. about him, and I believe he snuffed out the tooth fairy, too. Oof. Yeah. Okay. Nasty dude. After that, we got uh, Todd Chrisley and wife still uh, awaiting what sentencing. What is up with that? Boy lovers. Bring the guillotine down on those two. No, we need to stall and, and, and build up just that, that feeling of anticipation or maybe another couple episodes of their bullshit TV show. Is that what know. it is? Because they're still putting out new episodes of the show. Are they really? Yeah. Oh, so I'm God. sure they tape all this crap at once and then let it out Jesus, like, somebody slowly. bring it on these two. Just bring it. Right, because everyone's got to be yelling at the screen during the coming attractions. How about him in jail? Is that going to be... Because he's going to go to some cushy-ass federal pen. <laughs> They're probably, he's probably going to have a spin-off and laugh all the way to the, the bank. That's the kind of reality TV I'd like to see. Woof. Yeah. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is still under investigation I'm with shocked. the January 6th hearings. So shocked. It's a very sad moment for me, for everybody, for everybody, no matter where you are. What a load of... Have they come up with up. anything new? Nothing. Nothing? No. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> no smoking gun? No smoking gun. Oh, no. shit. And then, of course, gas prices uh, continue to fall, which is kind of a nice thing. Yes, yes. I think coming in tonight, I saw 419. Nice. Just and just today, I got 411 by me, so... Can't I'm believe I would get happy about 419 a gallon. Right? See how they've reprogrammed us? Yeah, hey, very much shit. so. Very much so. Uh, Damn. Yeah. Yeah. So and, you got all uh, that, and you got... Uh, Monkeypox apparently still um, really just among people having unprotected sex. I think the the, the, the media is trying to grasp that as the next, uh, and it, it's got no weight. It's got no weight to it. it it's only happening. people it's not working banging dirty that are getting it. Is so, that what it is? Yeah, it's exactly oh what it is, and they really want to force it as, as the new boogeyman. But no, it's just people having unprotected, awkward. 
deviant sex. Yeah, kind of <laughs> gross and disgusting, I <laughs> yeah. think. Not the sex, the monkey parts, mind you. Just all of it needs to go away. Kind of and actually, last week, Dr. Fauci, you know, he's one of my favorites, right yes. up there with Alec Baldwin. Yes. Uh, he came out and, and admitted that, yeah, if I had to do it again, I would probably do things differently. You think? Really? Mm. Really, Fauci? Hey, 2020 <laughs> hindsight's a bitch. What mean you what? Do? You wouldn't shut down a, a booming economy because you don't know what else to do? See, he that? should have known better <laughs> than to say that because he's giving fuel to the giant people like me. of the world <laughs> who are looking for a club to beat him with. Exactly. I want to beat him about the head and face. And on that note, if mm. I could drift into the bad guy. Please do. Uh, we lost one of my favorite character actors last week, Mr. David Warner. Yes. British actor. Uh, let's see. What would this generation know him as? If I were creating a world I wouldn't mess about with butterflies and daffodils, I would have started with lasers. Eight o'clock, day one. The, the lackey slash bad guy in the movie Titanic okay. to Billy Zane. Yes. Right? yes. Those of us a little longer in the tooth would know him as the voice of Raz al Ghul in the Batman animated cartoons. Okay. He played the devil, or a devil character, in the movie Time Bandits. Wow. He uh, was a bad guy in the movie Tron. Uh, he played in a stunning star turn as Jack the Ripper, opposite Malcolm McDowell in the movie Time After Time. Stunning thought that they had him and Malcolm McDowell in the right? same film. That's Two like British sci-fi B-movie heavyweights. Lunatic <laughs> crazy people. That's like, wow. And a, and a great underrated movie if you ever get the chance. Also yeah. starred Mary Steenburgen, I think. Okay. Um, but just, yeah, well done. Nice little time travel paradoxy kind of movie. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so he, he passed away. I believe he was also 77. Okay. Um, and again, we, we had discussed before, you know, Hollywood... Um, Leading under, men come they, and go. Yeah, they undervalue good character actors. They yeah. really do. And, and especially this guy was, bad guy character actors. Yeah, right, right. He was the definition of it. He yeah. was. And a couple times he played like a good guy or a, a you know neutral guy. But yeah. more often than not, when you saw David Warner come on the screen, you're like, oh, that's the bad guy. And, and those are the fun <laughs> parts to play. You know? Right. They really are. Just, you know? And he would. He would just chew up scenery. Um, you know, he was also in, uh, speaking of good guy roles, he was a priest in The Omen. Really? Remember, he was the one that was going after Damien okay. with the, the special knives of the whatever. Right. And I think he got decapitated by some sliding plate <laughs> glass, you know? <laughs> so, again, look, if you're in The Omen movies and you're a priest, you're going to buy it, That's too. Good. That's good resume <laughs> material right there, man. Seriously, yep. you know? So, see, the good thing I've watched all these horrific movies over I know, years. I know. But, yeah, he'll be missed. Uh, Godspeed. Uh, Mr. Warner, thank Absolutely. you for the entertainment. Yeah. And it looks like it's about that magical time, my friend, where this episode is in the kitty. All right. So, of course, as always, uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. This our episode 119. Wow. Right? Woof. So, as always, I'm Johnny Teflon. And I'm Michael Sean Lee. Indeed. And we'll catch us all on the flip side. <laughs>